Hello and welcome to another episode of SoccerCast Chicago. I'm your host, Alex Campbell, and I'm sorry that it has been so long again between podcasts, but we do have Chicago soccer back. The Red Stars, two games into their journey at the NWSL Challenge Cup out in Utah, so there is plenty of soccer to catch up on, plenty to talk about. As I record this, it is Thursday morning, July 2nd, and the NWSL is off until Saturday. So it's just going to be me today running through what we've seen so far, particularly from the Red Stars, but I do have some awesome guests coming up on the show over the next couple weeks, so definitely keep an eye out for those. How this is going to work today, I'm going to talk about the two Red Stars games we've seen, the tactics, a few specific players and all that, but not get too into the weeds because we'd be here all day and you do not want to listen to just me talk for several hours about the minutia of a soccer game. I also want to talk about a few things we've seen around the league and give some brief thoughts on the seven other teams. But first, I wanted to begin with touching briefly on the Anthem situation and the conversations that have stemmed from it. A lot of other people have said plenty on this subject, and I know that given that those opening games were almost a week ago now, it's kind of fallen out of the news cycle. But to catch up anyone who isn't up to date on this and who hasn't been following this as closely as maybe I have or some of the other people who watch this tournament very closely have, when we were going into this tournament, we knew there was going to be protests of some sort during the National Anthem. If you reflect back a few years, Megan Rapino was really the only prominent athlete outside of football who we saw emulate Con Kaepernick's protest and Obviously, there was a huge amount of fallout from that at the time between punishment from U.S. soccer, who only recently overturned the rule that they came up with to punish her at the time. And so we didn't really know what we were going to get going into this tournament, but we knew we were going to see demonstrations during the anthem of some sort. And what what we've gotten was has been entire teams wearing Black Lives Matter shirts during warm-ups. But then during the anthem, we've seen the vast majority of players kneeling during the anthem Um, a few players have chosen to stand have not participated I believe I've seen a full team on two different occasions have 100% participation in kneeling and of course the most notable moment that came out of all of this involved the Red Stars before their opening game against the Washington Spirit it's a photo that I'm sure most of you have seen online of Casey Short crying being embraced by Julie Ertz in a moment of very raw emotion, a moment of prayer, and a moment of vulnerability. And if there, if you've seen the wider shot of this, there's the added context of Kalia Watts, who's to Julie Ertz's right, kneeling while she looks up at the player to Short's left, standing with her hand on, Short's, on Casey Short's shoulder, which is Rachel Hill, and you can't see her face in the photo. So there's a lot to take in there. Um, it's an incredible image. But it's not an image that Casey Short and Julie Ertz should have had to give us. There are so many ways this could have been avoided, but mainly they either could have simply not played the National Anthem before all of these games. There's no fans at these games, and it's not like it's on typical network TV. It's just being streamed. So who exactly are we playing the Anthem for? Or the other choice that could be made is that CBS Sports could simply elect not to show the Anthem on the broadcasts, as the NFL broadcasters, several of them, chose to do a couple years ago to just avert the controversy altogether. Of course, that has not happened either. Instead, the NWSL added an option for teams, or individual players actually, to stay in the locker room during the anthem, which, 
of course, hasn't helped anything, really only makes things more complicated, and unsurprisingly, nobody has taken the NWSL up on that option. Um, as far as how I feel about it, I've only had, as a sports fan and someone who's been to a lot of sporting events at a lot of different sports, there's only a couple really transformational experiences I've had that involved the anthem at sporting events. Um, the first one that comes to mind is when I got to see the Chicago Blackhawks play in the Stanley Cup final against the Boston Bruins in 2013. Of course, if you're familiar with hockey, you know that at the United Center, there was always cheering during the national anthem. But on this particular occasion, it was so piercingly loud that you couldn't even hear what Jim Cornelison was singing. Um, also, there I've had a couple really cool experiences at Notre Dame football games um, with different flyovers. There's an Air Force base not too far from South Bend that allows that to be possible. And the university also has a pretty strong military connection that makes all of that happen. But my favorite anthem experience I've ever had wasn't in the United States. It was at a pre-World Cup friendly in 2014 between England and Peru at Wembley Stadium. Every person was given a card on their way in. And when we held them up during God Save the Queen, which every person, all 90,000 of them, are singing... The cards together formed the England flag across both sides of the stadium. I had goosebumps. It was unlike any pre-sports thing I had ever experienced in the U.S. I also loved the experience of singing the Star-Spangled Banner before the United States men's national team took on Mexico in World Cup qualifying when I was in attendance at that game in 2016. All in all, I personally think it would make the most sense to follow what most of the world does and reserve the anthem for national sporting events. Um, you know, Olympics, international soccer, that sort of thing. And I think this is a good time to just remind everyone that so much of the patriotic fanfare we see before sports, particularly in the NFL, it's a paid-for advertisement by the military. This is not the league simply saying, oh, we would like to have this giant flag because we think it looks cool and we're going to invite all these military members. The leagues are being paid to have the military members there. They are being paid to have the giant flag. So that is just something to keep in mind amidst all of this. In the end of the day, if you haven't already, you should go read the joint statement that Casey Short and Julie Ertz released. You should go read Sarah Gordon's Instagram post from a few days ago about when she will stand again instead of kneeling. These women are heroes, but that doesn't mean we should be taking advantage of them for a nice photo op. Anyway, let's talk about the soccer. Again, as so many people in soccer media have stated, we want to talk about the soccer, but sometimes there are things that are more important that have to come first. But the soccer, Red Stars, first game, Red Stars 1, Spirit 2. So that back four, it was a back four of St. George, Morse, Gordon, and Short. So that features two rookies essentially next to each other in St. George and Morse, starting next to each other at right back and the right-sided center back. And then Sarah Gordon playing out of position as a center back instead of as a fullback. And this all went about as we should have expected it to go. And as much as I love Bianca St. George's energy at right back, just diving into tackles, being all over the place it seemed like, and really up for it in her NWSL debut, the center back combo of Gordon and Morris was a problem that Rose Lavelle and Ashley Hatch took absolute full advantage of throughout this game. And as much as I like watching Julie Ertz play midfield like she does for the national team, the Red Stars definitely need to hear on defense. 
Um, elsewhere, Kaylia Watt looked explosive in her Red Stars debut, I thought, and I think she's really going to be an important offensive piece for this team, exactly how she fits in. Obviously, that's going to be something that Rory Dames is looking at throughout this tournament, and we really probably won't get a great idea of what Dames' long-term plan is for her in the offense until the start of next season. Um, because the question is, how do you use both her and Yuki Nagasato at their best? Because in this game... I thought Kaylee looked the most dangerous when she was playing on the left wing, cutting in onto her right foot, which is, of course, also the position from which Yuki was so good last year with eight goals and eight assists in the NWSL. So I think at some point in this tournament, I'd like to see Kaylee on the right and Yuki on the left, seeing how that goes. The question is who you play at striker, because that front two in this game of Yuki and Rachel Hill just flat out didn't work. I don't really think Yuki Nagasato... Especially at this point in her career, I don't really see her as a nine. And I just think it's a situation of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep her on that left wing where she was so good for much of last season. So obviously lots of questions still to be answered as the Red Stars try to figure out what you do in the post-Sam Kerr era. Uh, on the spirit side in this game, Rose Lavelle is one of the best players in the world. And we knew that going in. When she's in possession of the ball and in full flight, she controls the ball like nobody else in this league and was a problem for defenders all game, got the goal on that loose ball in the first half. And just all in all, I mean, you you know what you're going to get from Rose Lavelle. It's so awesome to see her finally healthy in NWSL play. She's played so little for the spirit in her two years on the team. So I'm sure that Washington fans were super excited by what they saw in this game. Ashley Hatch, who started striker for the Spirit, her runs off the ball were a massive problem for the back line, who just couldn't seem to keep track of her. She was constantly getting in behind, staying outside, and receiving the ball in space behind the defense. The other problem was simply that I, th I thought the back four found themselves ball-watching a lot in this game. The Lavelle goal is the best example of this, but there were just so many moments where there were runs being made off the ball in and around the 18-yard box that just weren't being picked up. And again, with a back four that not only as a group has never played together, but you've got a rookie and a usual fullback playing at center back as a pairing who've never played together, it's really going to be hard to adjust against a team like the Spirit, who are basically playing their best 11, including some world-class talent. Um, Morgan Gatra's goal was a nice bonus as was her last-minute announcement that she was going to start going by Gatra for the Red Stars instead of Brian, and it sounds like it was a genuine surprise for her husband, Fabrice, so that's an awesome moment for them, and it was a really kind of cool uh, side story to this game, obviously, between everything with the anthem before the game and the way the spirit played in the game. It didn't end up being a particularly big story, but still a really cool moment, and it's definitely going to take some time for me to adjust to saying Gatra instead of Brian, uh, I definitely butchered her name repeatedly as I was doing a live podcast of this game, so lesson learned. As for the Red Stars, second game, nil-nil against the Portland Thorns, and when Rory Dames said he was going to play the kids in this tournament, he meant it. I couldn't find the tweet, but someone tweeted out that this lineup was basically Danny and the kids, and that was pretty accurate. It was cool to see that Danny Colaprico was fit enough to start this game, but she was basically being asked to do the entire midfield's work by herself. Savannah McCaskill, as you would expect, was playing almost as a second striker, and I think she should probably be playing striker anyway, but I digress. And then Ella Stevens didn't make much of an impact one way or the other, so Colaprico was everywhere. I thought she played really well. It was good to see her back, 
but I think she was being asked to do just a little bit too much in this game. Um, but the thing that really stood out to me throughout this was the center back pairing, which was huge if you're a Northwestern fan to see Kayla Sharples and Hannah Davison, who anchored the Cats defense together for four seasons in college, get to start as a center back pairing. And while neither of them are probably going to crack the starting 11 of this team on their own when everyone's healthy, there's definitely something to be said for that experience playing as a pair and always knowing where the other will be. So I thought they did incredibly well in this game. And it was really night and day from what we saw in that first game with a group of defenders who had never played together and Sharples and Davison really underscoring how important a relationship between a center back pairing is. Um, Given the lineup that the Red Stars rolled out, I'm not surprised that they didn't come particularly close to scoring, but I was overall impressed by the effort of so many young players and that they were able to keep a clean sheet against a fairly strong Portland 11. Um, Shout out to Emily Boyd for making a great save on Morgan Weaver in the first half, and also to Cassie Miller, who made her debut in the second half of the Red Stars. She's had a crazy journey, uh, was a standout at Florida State, and then went over to the Netherlands to play for PSV Eindhoven before ending up in Cyprus, before now making her way back to the United States and the NWSL. Reflecting on those two games, with North Carolina coming up next, I'd really like to see the strongest team that the Red Stars can muster, but that said, Rory Dames has said that he's basically got the first four games already fully scripted, so maybe he's got it planned that he's going to try to roll out a really strong team against North Carolina, maybe not. We'll just have to wait and see, but assuming that Tierna Davidson probably won't be fit enough to start, given that we haven't even seen her come off the bench yet, this is the lineup I would go with against North Carolina if it was up to me. I'd have Alyssa Nair in goal. I'd have a back four of Sarah Gordon, Julie Ertz, Kayla Sharples getting the start in Davidson's spot, and Casey Short, um, Morgan Control, and Danny Colprico as a midfield pivot, Yuki Nagasato, Vanessa DiBernardo, and Kalia Watt in the attacking midfield positions, with Savannah McCaskill up front. I'd really like to see McCaskill get a shot at striker. We saw her used largely off the right wing when she played last season. Obviously, you're not going to dislodge Sam Kerr, but I think everyone seems to agree that you'd rather have Savannah somewhere in the center of the field. So I think I'd like to see her given a try at center forward with more or less a first-team midfield behind her. Um... I think all I've got on the Red Stars, big game on Sunday against the North Carolina Courage. I'm planning on calling that game on Hot Mike, but more info to come on that. Um, But as I said, I also want to touch on some of the other teams. Talked about the Washington Spirit a bit. I really like the balance of that team and the squad being built around that midfield core of Rose Lavelle and Andy Sullivan. And I think Richie Burke is really building something for the future with that team. Sanchez, the rookie winger out of UCLA, looks like an enormous talent. Uh, the center back pairing of Staub and Nielsen looks really, really solid. And then you've got Aubrey Bledsoe, the 2019 NWSL Goalkeeper of the Year between the sticks. Obviously, we saw in their game against North Carolina last night that they're not quite there on that level, but I think that team is really headed to bigger and better things. Um, Portland? Didn't really talk about them in the context of that Red Stars game. But they're a hard team to evaluate right now, given that it's been widely reported that they had big transfer plans for this summer that just never got to come to fruition, including a couple high-profile international players, supposedly, that they were targeting. Um, But with the team that they do have, Morgan Weaver looks like a lethal threat off the left wing. Uh, Simone Charlie's had a strong couple of games off the right wing as well. 
Christine Sinclair, the legendary Canadian striker, playing in midfield alongside Lindsay Horan is obviously not historically her position, but I think it's clear Mark Parsons wants her in the game in some respect, and so the question is, given where she is in her career at 37 years old, where are you going to get the most out of Christine Sinclair? And playing her in midfield next to Lindsay Horan, who has an almost unparalleled work rate, both offensively and defensively, I think allows you to cover for the fact that Sinclair's not going to run a ton, that she's mostly going to be there as a distributor at this point, trying to chip in offensively where she can. And I think that's working okay so far for Portland. But again, they're they're working with not a complete picture right now. I have to believe that a fairly high-profile striker was on their wish list for this summer to play between, ideally, uh, Morgan Weaver and Tobin Heath, who, of course, has opted out of the tournament. But still, there's an obvious hole there in that Portland attack, and Mark Parsons is just trying to make the most of it at this point. For the Houston Dash, um, at the time of recording, we've only seen them play one game, that crazy 3-3 draw against Utah. And for having so much offseason turnover, I think there was a lot of good things to like from this game. I mean, Christy Mewis and Rachel Daly are still the heartbeat of this team. I thought Veronica Latsko had a really good game on left wing as well, and Shea Groom had a rocket of a goal that's going to be a really strong contender for the goal of the tournament. So I think going forward, there was so much to like about the Dash in this game. But, you know, with that much turnover... Defensive cohesion is going to take some time, and I don't know if a tournament format like this is really the ideal situation in which to build up and work on that. So we'll have to wait and see as the tournament goes on if they can be a little stronger defensively. But for now, maybe if nothing else, dash games are going to be just really fun to watch and high-octane track meets, which, you know, I would not complain about. Their opponents in that game, of course, Utah Royals FC. I was in agreement with, I think, a lot of people on Twitter who loved seeing them come out in the 3-5-2 formation, a formation that's incredibly reliant on wingbacks, which is an especially bold choice given that Kelly O'Hara, their best wingback, was not available for this game. That's a hell of a move, Um, and it worked great most of the first half, but then Houston adjusted and it seemed like Utah had no answers. Um, Shout out to Amy Rodriguez, though, for bringing 110% as Utah tries to figure out how their offense is going to work this tournament without Kristen Press, who has also opted out of playing in Utah. Uh, Diana Matheson playing like she did in this game will certainly help, so maybe there are going to be enough goals there. And finally, speaking of goals, congrats to... Finally, speaking of goals, congrats to Ziara King, the rookie out of NC State, scored in her debut off the bench to grab a late goal and a point in this game for Utah. She was clearly crazy excited. That's a great moment for her. And I definitely hope we get to see more of her up top for Utah in this tournament. Um, OL Rain, they possessed the ball a lot against Sky Blue, but that was uh, kind of it. I really hope we get to see Sofia Huerta next game because she's going to be a key part of this Rain attack. Did not feature in this one. And Bethany Balser, I don't think I knew how fast she was. I really didn't see her play much last season, more focused on the World Cup. And she was definitely showing glimpses in this game of why she was Rookie of the Year in the NWSL last year. Crazy speed, great skill out on the wing. So there's there's potential here for this OL Reign squad, but, you know, we're going to have to wait and see the rest of this tournament if they can really turn that into anything substantial. It still looks like this is a team very much still trying to figure out what they're going to be under a new coach. Their opponents, Sky Blue, 
Really, my only thought on Sky Blue was why on earth was Midge Purse at right back when you don't have Carly Lloyd or Mal Pugh to play up front? There's a lot of comments that that Midge Purse is best as a striker anyway, but I can understand why you'd maybe play her at right back, you know, if Carly Lloyd was playing striker and Mal Pugh was playing on the right wing, but without them, I don't think there's any excuse for Midge Purse not to be in the attacking line. That's really all I have to say on them. Didn't, you know, this game was, um... I think it's fair to say this game was pretty boring. Most of the games so far in the Challenge Cup have been really good. This one was not as great. Um, And hopefully Sky Blue has some things figured out by Saturday. Which, of course, just leaves the North Carolina Courage, who are really, really damn good at soccer. Uh, That opening game against Portland was a good sparring match, but ultimately it was inevitable that Lynn Williams was going to get a goal in that game. Came at the very last second to grab the win. And then the game last night against the Spirit, 2-0 feels very generous to Washington for how that game went. Um, I admire the Spirit for trying to set up specifically to negate North Carolina's tactics. They came out in what was more or less a a 4-4-2 diamond slash a 4-3-3 with, a, with Rose Lavelle playing at the point of the diamond as a false nine, a position I really like for her, and I think it was largely working and then rather than simply go with the flow of this tournament, Paul Riley decided, screw this, I want to win this game. And at halftime, he brings on Crystal Dunn and Sam Mewis. And that was very quickly the end of that. Uh, Crystal Dunn getting thrown up top at striker, which I think everybody gets excited to see her there, given that we don't see her get to play in that position for the national team. Meanwhile, Dabinia is absolutely incredible. And by the end of this game, I was feeling sorry for Spirit left back Tegan McGrady, who I thought played really well against the Red Stars, but then was just on the receiving end multiple times of some great runs and great moves by Dabinia as she freed up space kind of on that inside right channel. Meanwhile, Lynn Williams doing Lynn Williams things, and there's no way North Carolina isn't going to win this tournament. I know it's still early, but I think what we've seen so far, most of these teams are trying to take stock of their rosters, figure out what they've got, what they're working with, and are looking forward to 2021. Meanwhile, North Carolina brought back almost their entire championship roster from last year, and they've got their sights set on yet another trophy. Next up in the NWSL Challenge Cup this weekend, on Saturday on the 4th of July, Utah take on Sky Blue, and the Dash take on OL Rain. Meanwhile, Sunday, big ticket bill on Sunday. North Carolina Courage versus the Chicago Red Stars, followed by the Portland Thorns against the Washington Spirit. Hopefully that first game goes better than the 2019 final did for the Red Stars, but regardless, those should both be awesome, awesome matchups. And I'm excited to see more NWSL this weekend, more soccer. It's been a great tournament so far, really been impressed with a few of the teams. And all in all, even though, you know, this isn't a normal season, and we're maybe not seeing all the teams at full strength. There's plenty of great storylines here, so if you haven't been watching, I encourage you, go watch on CBS All Access. You can get one month of it for only 6 bucks, and then cancel when the tournament's over, so it's not that much of an investment. I think it's worth your time. It's a great opportunity to learn a lot about this league. We're seeing a lot of players who haven't gotten time in the past. I mean, look at the Red Stars. The Red Stars changed their entire starting eleven. Those are a lot of players who we normally wouldn't get to see much of in a typical NWSL season where the goal is to win every single game and you're not focused on anything else. So this is a great opportunity to get into the league, to learn about the league, so more soccer 
this weekend and plenty more to come between now and the end of the month when all things will be settled. A reminder, of course, everyone makes the knockout stage when everything will be settled with the final on July 26th. That's going to do it for me on this episode of SoccerCast Chicago. I have talked more than long enough. You can follow the show on Twitter at Soccer underscore cast. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore S underscore Campbell. You can find this show literally anywhere podcasts are streamed. Shout out to Anchor for hosting the show. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share if you enjoy what you hear. Like I said, I've got a couple fun interviews coming up. Stay tuned for those. More NWCL Challenge Cup talk to come as well. And the MLS is back tournament. Maybe on the horizon. There's still some issues there, but hopefully we will have even more Chicago soccer to talk about sometime soon. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Alex Campbell, and I'll see you next time.